Hey, this is Tom Doyle. And Joanne Doyle, and welcome to Good News from the Middle East. And our aim is to give you a little bit of information, a ton of inspiration on what God is doing around the world, specifically in the Middle East, and a challenge for you as Bible-believing Christians on how you can get involved. And today, Joanne, we have a packed program. We have some pretty exciting things to talk about. But first, a big prayer request, what's going on in Syria. Yes. And you know, hearing from our leaders at Uncharted, that um, right now, Syria, it's estimated, may be the poorest country in the world because of the 10-year war that they've been going through. 83% of the people are living under the world poverty level, which is just a mere $2 a day. And who could last on that? $2 a day or less. And so Syria has surpassed Madagascar, Zimbabwe, Sierra Leone, and Nigeria as the poorest country in the world. And we have a story about something that we did for a Christmas project, not last Christmas, but the one before. Right. And this will help give you a visual of just how dire the circumstances are. So as Tom said, a couple Christmases ago, we sent in 400 pair of pajamas for children. Such a sweet, practical Christmas gift. But what's happening now, what, a year and a half later? Later, our leaders are telling us that these precious children who receive those pajamas are wearing them every week to the outreaches. Why? Because it's the best set of clothing that they own. Everything else is deteriorated. And you can imagine after two years of wearing those pajamas, they're not in the best condition either. So things are very sad. And who is suffering, of course, are the innocent one, the children. And we know this, Joanne, that there are many hundreds thousands of orphans now, thousands of widows. We're talking about families being decimated. And it's so sad to understand that's the reality. But believers are sharing Christ around Syria. They're sharing with Sunni Muslims, Alawites, Druze. They're making a difference and people are responding. So um, pray for them in Syria. We are praying for that next generation of leaders and children are being trained Mm -hmm. uh, throughout Syria to be the next generation leaders in Syria of the church. You know what that reminds me of, Tom? It reminds me how we see in Scripture that God always leaves a remnant of His people that will rise up and grow to stand for Jesus, to stand for God. We see that throughout the pages of Scripture, and we're seeing it now, even though the Bible's been completed, we are seeing it in the world around us. So we look at Syria that is completely destroyed, children drinking out of mud puddles, eating the bark off trees because they are so hungry, yet our leaders are reaching out to these desperate children who are freely and openly embracing Christ. And so what our leaders are doing, they are praying that out of each one of those people groups within their country, that 70 children that are now children, ages between, I think they're saying four to 17, that they are praying for, pouring into, discipling and grooming 70 children out of each one of those people groups that will be the future leaders of the, of the body of Christ, of the church in Syria that this remnant will blossom and bloom into a harvest for the kingdom. That's right. And last time we had Bruce Pepin with us, and Bruce shared from his book, The Best is Yet to Be. And uh, it was really a good program. Uh, Bruce talks about the difficulties in life and how as men of God, we want to finish strong, finish well, and this influence, how it actually grows the older 
we get. We may not uh, be fit to be in Hollywood on the movies, mm -hmm. right? But yet, as far as life influence, it grows as we grow in age. And so be sure and check that one out with Bruce Pepin. Today we're excited because we have Tommy Doyle with us. Not only is he our son, but he is working on a significant Bible translation in the Middle East with an unreached people group. And this is some pretty exciting stuff. You know, as parents, of course, we can't be help but be so proud when our kids rise up and, and walk with Jesus. But to be working on a translation of Scripture, that's like a cherry on top of the beautiful ice cream sundae that we all love. So we are so excited to have you here with us today, Tommy. Welcome. Meet our son, Tommy Doyle. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, Tommy, as we get started today, uh, I'm reminded of this Scripture out of Isaiah 60. And Isaiah 60 is a strong messianic uh, chapter in the Bible, and it starts in verse 1 of Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. So this is not talking about a prophet. This is obviously the Messiah, but it goes on and it gives us a clue because it says in verse five, herds of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Ephah, and all from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. And then it goes on and talks about Kadar's flocks and Neboeth. And these are the Arab people. These are the sons mm -hmm. of Ishmael. And for years on Christmas Eve, as we're talking about the birth of Jesus, they talk about the wise men. Are they from Babylon? Are they from Persia? But probably they are who, Tommy? Who are these people in Isaiah 60? Most likely, they're, they're the Arab people group. It's a topic of debate for sure. Some say Persians, some say Arabs, but with everything we've come across and the regions explained and pointed out, to me, it seems like it's the Arabic people. It does. And I talked to my old professor at Dallas Seminary of Old Testament, Charlie Dyer, and I said, Charlie, who are the who is that people group in Isaiah 60 said I have to conclude that it's the Arabs wow. and so so I believe that so we're talking about the surrounding people we're talking about the sons of Ishmael and uh but shockingly these could be some of the first people to come to Jesus and yet some of the last people to receive a bible in their language now there is the general arabic language in the Middle East, but there's also many dialects. So many subsets, so many different dialects, and some are just so incomprehensible to those that speak the modern standard Arabic. They can't fully understand what the Arabic says in their dialect. So that's an interesting thing is, yes, they're Arab, but they don't speak Arabic. And there's so many different examples of that around the Middle East. Yeah, and then so they would call it maybe classic Arabic. And of course, there's an argument all throughout the Middle East who has the classic Arabic. But we're talking about a people group that perhaps their language is 40% different than traditional 
Arabic. So when it comes to a Bible translation, they really don't have something in their mother tongue. And of course, that's what we want. So here we have an unreached people group in an area that's close to where Jesus came and was born. They, Their ancestors might have been the three wise men, but yet they Certainly. don't have a Bible translation in their language. Yet, it's not going to be, to start with, a written Bible translation. What's it going to be? Can you tell us about that? For the most part, people outside of main population centers have their separate dialect. And um, they traditionally learn about their past and their present and everything through storying. Um, so things are passed down, how to whatever their, their livelihood could be, whether it's farming or livestock or whatnot, everything is taught to them through story format. Um, most of them would be considered illiterate, but that doesn't mean at all that they're not intelligent. They are very smart. They just don't uh, know how to read and write. And then you top that with the fact that um, most of these dialects don't even have an alphabet. So there's certain sounds um, that they make when they speak to each other that don't have a, a character. So you could, in one sense, use, uh, you know, modern standard Arabic to express some of what they're trying to say, but it wouldn't be intelligible. It'd be hard to understand because there's sounds that aren't represented in that alphabet. Um, so it's going to be a, a story-based or oral Bible translation, um, something that is translated and can be played back to them either through, you know, an iPhone or a little MP3 player um, or through a variety of different websites online. Um, and, and from my experience over the years, this is how they, um, they are so interested in, in storytelling. That's right. That's right. Everything is passed down by story. In fact, uh, we know of a woman that's an Arab in one of the nomadic tribes there that is over 100 years old. Isn't she? What is she? 104, I think. Yeah. yeah talk about stories. So uh, when you think about it, she was, gosh, what was she in her 40s when Israel became a nation in 48? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Tr truly amazing when you think about it. But her life, she doesn't read. Things have been passed down to her. Now, here's where we're going to take uh, the listeners on uh, Bible translation ride, and this is going to do something that will really shock them. Not all of the people that translate the Bible will be Christians, right, Tommy? Exactly, yeah. Um, so so here, let me step back a bit. The, the traditional way of getting a Bible translation into a language that doesn't have any alphabet or reading or writing system, the traditional model would be like a missionary couple that would move to, let's say, someplace in the Amazon jungle to live with a tribe for 30 years. They would spend their entire life with them, helping them, uh, loving on them, and through that they would learn the language. And so once they had been with them for a long enough time and they had a firm grasp on that language, they could begin translating the Bible into that language. And, you know, sometimes they would have to create an alphabet for them. You know, you're looking 30 years into it to have a full Bible translation for them. And, and that model was great, and so many people 
have um, found Christ through that. But in today's modern world, you know, with the world gradually getting smaller, with the advent of technology and communication and everything, sometimes these, these people groups that are either nomadic or isolated find themselves moving into the general population. And, and these languages turn into uh, to dead languages where, you know, some of the older people in the people group still speak it amongst themselves, but the youth don't even know it. And, you know, I've heard heartbreaking stories of people doing the traditional thing and, and learning the language to get the translation done. And then when they have it done, nobody knows how to even understand it. Oh, so It just took too long. Exactly. Um, but so the benefit of some of the partners we have and the technology we're using is we've condensed that to about a three-year process. Which that is amazing, Tommy. And also something I didn't, I neglected to say was, what do you do with a people group where you don't have a consensus of Christians? And so as you began to work with this people group, uh, we knew of two believers from that nomadic tribe. Now we think there are 10, but yep. tell, tell our listeners what happens as, and they come from a Muslim background. We would know that, that Arabs in the Middle East typically are Sunni Muslim. Tell them about the the transforming effect of, uh, you know, translating the Bible. How many verses have been done, and and what's happened to the people as they're doing it? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So, um, typically, you'd be on the lookout for believers, and that is is very difficult in some of these people groups that are ninety nine point nine percent Muslim. The other, you know, point one percent are atheist or whatever, but. It's tough to find believers, number one, um, being a Westerner coming in looking for believers who are probably um, uh, secretive about their, their faith, you know, for fear of persecution and, and different things like that. Um, but you, you'd be surprised with the number of people that are open and that are uh, what we would refer to as like a person of peace, somebody who wants to hear more about the Bible. They don't dismiss it because some of their teachers have have told them it's bad, that they're curious to hear it. Um, and so through through talks with some of these, um, you know, persons of peace, open individuals who are actually inspired by the Bible and say, you know, some of these stories I could use and apply to my life, um, we begin to spend time with them and see if they would be a good fit. So let me back up. Uh, to, to get an accurate translation, there needs to be a solid source text that is biblically sound, and there are so many of those in the broader, uh, wider language of communication amongst these people. It, it's a language that's all around the area that some would know, not all of them. Um, so there is a great several great translations of the Bible in, in Arabic. And so using this source text, which is a, a confirmed great translation of the Bible, they will hear that text being played to them through a speaker. They will internalize that text that came in in modern standard Arabic, let's say, like, like the Injil Sharif for sure. one of those good translations. And they will, they will internalize it with their small team, and they will think about, okay, what is the best way to say this 
without leaving out any details, any places, any people, or the overarching idea behind this one sentence in our native tongue. So they are learning this great critical thinking and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's good for them to have this um, experience working with Westerners in a translation. That's, that's huge for them. They can get, they can take that places in life and get better jobs and different things. Um, but the other thing is they want to um, preserve their language. They're uh, motivated to do that. They are because um, the, the proud people of these uh, small people groups and nomadic tribes are very proud of their lifestyle and where they've come from and the adversities they've overcome, um, that they want it to be archived. And um, there, since there's no writing in these languages, like I think in the group we're working with, there's a handful of poems written down. And that's it. That's it. Um, so the interesting thing with this one, of course, is there's several characters that will need to be um, made up to accommodate the sound they're making. So we, we'll get to that stage once the back translation starts. But for the time being, it's just audio coming in from a proven biblical um, source. And then they speak back into it, that same verse in their native tongue. When we called you and you were doing the translation, uh, you said we're underground. And uh, of course, you're working with Muslims and Christians. And I said, well, I know you're underground, you know, figuratively, we, all of our work in the Middle East is underground. And you said, no, literally, we're underground. We're in a basement somewhere. What was the, why was that needed? What, what was there problems with, could their families have found out? What was going on there with some of the translators? Yeah, so um, real quick, you mentioned the uh, authenticity of, you know, how do we know that they're, they're saying exactly what they're hearing and not adding something in either mistakenly? Or, um, you know, intentionally. And, you know, we've vetted these people and we're very confident that they're, they're doing the right thing and not changing things up. But we have um, one of the believers that you spoke about that we know um, fortunately speaks English as well, as well as this, um, this, this language that we're trying to translate. So she will be a back translator. She will hear what they record and be able to jot that down into English. So that's a good indicator right there. A second indicator is we got some linguistic specialists that from the beginning will be hearing all of these and looking at the back translation and ensuring that, you know, it is sound and that each, you know, word for word, it is accurate. So, so that's that's encouraging. So what about the people that were underground? Did, okay. did any of them mention to you what might happen to them if they were discovered? Well, so, you know, when we approached them, we said, you know, look, there's even the Quran um, talks about how you should read these other holy texts like um, the Torah and, and then, of course, the Injil, the Bible. Um, so they know that there's nothing wrong with that, you know, reading it, but with translation, it gets a little murky for them. They may think that some of the more radical-leaning um, members of their community might be outraged, and, um, you know, that could be, uh, that could pose a problem for their, their safety, their families. Um, so for the time being, yes, we're, we're recording it underground, um, 
in a basement and uh they enjoy it they they love you know coming there it's an adventure to them every day they're learning something every day we're learning something um it's just a great you know like cultural exchange if you will because it's these these people who live a completely different lifestyle than we could even fathom over here in the u.s and so. they live in tents, and they marry young, and yeah. some of the translators are early 20s. Yeah, hardworking people group, for sure. And one of them, when you said, what would happen if your father found out, what did she say would happen to her? She said her father would, would kill her. Wow. And that's the price she's paying to be a part of the translation. To, to me, that's truly amazing. Not even a believer, but they're interested. They're getting interested in the Word of God. They're starting to learn things. I, I was with you when you visited with a gentleman, and you told a story about Jesus casting the demons out. And uh, I remember he said something. Here's here's a Muslim man, and he said, "Oh, I can apply this story to my life." Didn't he? What What did he say about that? Uh, yes, yes. Um, and uh, so he says, he says, you know, this. There are so many good things in this that I could apply this to my life and i could even tell this to my family and it would help them to live a better life wow not even a believer but just being able to hear the truth here's what's amazing folks today this is in the biblical heartland of the middle east and these are people that don't live proximity wise that far from where jesus grew up but satan has blinded them They've been uh, ignorant of the gospel. Now opening up the scriptures, this is like putting rocket fuel as far as the the uh, gospel is is concerned. So, so anyway, how exciting that is! So we've talked about accuracy. We've talked about the people. We're praying for this to happen within the next couple of years. But Tommy, there's a significant place in the Middle East, and it's called Hagar's Well. And do you remember Abraham uh, was married to uh, Sarah, but then they couldn't have a child. So Hagar was an Egyptian and they had a child. His name is Ishmael. And and that didn't work out with the family well. And she's out in the desert and it looks like she's going to die. And what happens? So there, there are a couple accounts, um, just a few in the Old Testament of Jesus visiting um, people and speaking with them. And one of them actually is with Hagar. She is in the desert with her son Ishmael, and they are almost dying of thirst. And he he asks why she is crying, and she basically says she can't see her son die. And he comforts her by saying, don't worry, your son is going to live. And not only is he going to live, he's going to be the father of a great people group. So Abraham takes Hagar to be his wife. She's Egyptian, and uh, uh, Sarah's not able to conceive. So she gets pregnant, and of course, Sarah doesn't like that. And it ends up that Hagar leaves, and she's out in the desert. Looks like she's going to die. Then the angel of the Lord, not an angel, but the, the angel of the Lord, which is Jesus, uh, appears to her and says, you're pregnant, you'll give birth to a son, you will name him Ishmael. And the Lord has heard your misery, and he predicts who he will be. And so she gave the name to the Lord who spoke to him, you are the God who sees me. You are the God that sees me. And and so God actually allows her to give him a name. 
You know, what I love about that, Tom and Tommy, is that's the first time that God has given a name and it's given to a woman. You know, we see throughout the pages of God's holy word that women are elevated time and time again. In this culture, you know, the Bedouin, Middle Eastern, Arabic culture, um, women were not elevated. And yet God, in his love for all creation, rises up woman. And she is the first one that is able to give a name to God. Isn't that amazing? It truly is. And when you think about it, uh the Bible puts uh, an address with this, and it says that it happened at Berlahai Roy, Berlahai Roy, and uh, in an area called Kadesh. Um, and so there she is. And do you know that fast forward to 4,000 years later, can you believe that? One of the Bible translators comes from that very area. Right. It's just isn't that amazing. And Tommy, isn't there another significance about this location? So what's what's wild about all this is Ishmael is God hears. Isn't it a coincidence that, you know, the first translation this people group is going to be getting is an oral one, one they were, will hear? They say, I love this, that in the Hebrew language, there is not a word for coincidence. It's not kosher. So no, it's not coincidence. It is God. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. So the descendants of the first people to honor Christ at his birth are the ones we're working with on the translation. That's amazing to me. How can it be that the first people to come to Christ are the last people in this region to have a Bible translation in their language? What a, what a joy it is for us to be a part of it. What an honor. I mean, we pinch ourselves when we think about that God has allowed us to be a part of that. Tommy, thank you so much for your work and what you're doing. How can we pray for this incredible project? There's a lot of prayer needed, but I'd like to point out real quick another significant part in the scripture concerning this people group is Luke 2, when the shepherds in the fields are visited by the angels. Mm -hmm. In the Bible, it's rare that people are visited by more than one angel, and this is one of those occurrences where a multitude of angels announces his birth to them. Wow. I never thought about that, but that's right. So at Jesus' birth, it's not just one angel, it's a multitude. And now, today, come full circle, this people group that were probably the first to honor Jesus and bring him gifts are receiving the gift of the Bible. Mm. Wow. And our prayer is that they will be a multitude of people that hear this oral translation of the scripture and come to faith in Christ, just as it was a multitude. And Tommy, I've never put that together before, but a multitude of angels appearing to these shepherds in the field, because that was such an amazing encounter, announcing Jesus' birth. That's incredible. Tommy, thank you for being with us today. Obviously, a people group that for 4,000 years has been around and uh, since the church began 2,000 years ago, have not had the scriptures, and here they live in such a close proximity to the biblical theater. Uh, we know the enemy hates this, and Satan Absolutely. himself is going to fight. He fights Bible translation. He really is doing it with this group. How can we pray? Just give us a couple of points of prayer. So um, th there's a lot of moving pieces with different, um, a couple ministry partners, but a, a lot of intelligent people, a lot smarter than me, that are um, kind of behind the scenes making sure that everything is accurate and authentic and, and just... Um, so prayer for all that coordination and the logistics behind that. But some of the biggest prayer requests are going to be for the translators themselves, uh, courage for them, 
and and that through this prof, uh, process of being in the scripture, uh, you know, thirty verses a day uh, for three years, you know, it's it's going to have an effect on them without a doubt. Mm-hmm. So we're praying that they come to faith, that they're some of the first that come to faith as well um, for their safety, of course, and then um, the our partners uh, who are working on it over there as well. There's just a lot going on, as you can imagine, and, um, you know, prayers for safety, courage, and, and all the people involved. Amen. Well, I think that's a good way to summarize it. Prayers for safety, courage, and that they would respond to the gospel mm-hmm. as they have a copy that they can actually hear in their own language. This is going to be like rocket fuel for the gospel with this people group, Amen. isn't it, Tommy? Yeah, and another cool thing is is after this oral translation is all the way done, is we can back trans translate that into text. So it will be a physical copy as well for those who do read. Wow. Amazing. What a privilege. What a joy. Joanne? Mm, Tommy, we are so excited about this project. There is nothing as valuable as God's Word. You know, two things that will go into eternity, the souls of people and God's Word. That is how important it is. So, Tommy, thank you for sharing this exciting project. And for those of you that are listening, we are going to close in prayer. But as the Lord brings this to mind, would you just pause and pray that God's translation will take place accurately, that it not only will happen, but it will get into the hands of many, many people, and that we will meet people in heaven one day because of this project. So when you will see the Middle East, and when you see the ancient Middle East, or maybe you see Lawrence of Arabia, or you see at the pyramids in Egypt, or different places where the people are riding camels and living the life like the biblical characters of Abraham and Sarah Mm -hmm. and Hagar. Remember that people group. They're soon going to have the copy, a full copy of the Word of God in their language. Pray for them. That's right. That's right. And we are so blessed. How many Bibles do each of us have on our, our shelves at home, right? We can so easily take God's or having a copy of God's Word for granted. But there are people in closed countries that literally would die for one page of Scripture. So there are those in places that are willing to die for one page of, of Scripture, or those who don't even yet know Christ. They don't even know they're longing for Scripture, but we do know they're longing for truth. So let's not take our Bibles for granted. When you open your Bible tomorrow, would you and today would you open that up and pray for the people groups around the world that yet are to have God's language or God's word in their language so Tom would you close us in prayer let's pray Lord Jesus thank you for this unreached people group that we are privileged to work with and God there were two believers that we knew of now they're 10 imagine what happens when your living word is in their hands or when they can hear it for the first time so we pray for this bible project we pray for the safety of the workers pray for the overall coordination to get the project done there's so many moving parts we pray for uh, courage for them as they stand and do this knowing that it could risk their lives but father we pray that as these seeds are planted in the ground that they would sprout and this people group would be known not for Islam, but for their love for Jesus and how many of them, thousands came to faith in Christ because of what you did by giving them a translation of the scriptures in their heart language. Lord Jesus, thank you for this great endeavor. We pray that the good listeners would join us and pray and uh, be a part of this as we move forward. So we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Tommy, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. 
So this is Good News from the Middle East. I'm Tom Doyle. And I'm Joanne Doyle. And thank you so much for listening in today. Until next time. 